I give you that international sensation. What good is sitting alone in your room? Come hear the music play. Life is a cabaret, old chum. Hello and welcome to, to Queer It Now, the Talk Film Society podcast, where we take you on a time-hopping journey through queer cinema going decade by decade to discover how it has evolved over the years. I'm your host, Dave Giannini, and I'm here with my co-host, Manish Mother. So, Manish, you ready to uh, keep, we're about halfway through the 30s, so how are you feeling about this decade so far? You know, when, uh, yeah, when we first started doing this decade, I was kind of like, mm, I mean, who knows, right? What are these movies going to be like? Like, you know, you kind of have this idea of what the 1930s movies look like, uh, but I am very pleasantly surprised so far. A lot of interesting discussion, more than I, more than I really thought. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is this will be interesting because this is the first time this is, uh, you know, we're covering The Gay Divorcee, which I mentioned on the last episode was, you know, nominated for Best Picture. And it's, you know, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers like this is classic old Hollywood. Like we do. We did, of course, you know, um, you know, cover cover Morocco, which has that old Hollywood energy. And, you know, we talked about Ladies They Talk About, which has, you know, one of those great grand old dams of of uh, of Hollywood. But this is the first one I feel like is really kind of up there in the upper echelon where people not only know like a scene from this, but this is a very highly thought of movie. And yet yeah has some queerness to it. So I'm really interested to to hear your kind of experience of this. So this is a movie I've now seen twice because, you know, I've watched all those Oscar movies. Was this was this something that you had seen before? Are you a big, like, uh, Rodgers and Astaire fan? Uh, no, but yes. So, no, I haven't seen this, but I, I'm a fan okay. of theirs. <laughs> okay, got it, got it. So... What was your introduction to, like, this pairing? Because for me, it's just something that's always been in the cultural lexicon, you know? Like, you know, Ginger Rogers did everything Fred Astaire did. She just did it backwards. Uh, You know, you hear all these old stories, and you see these clips, like, on Oscar shows and Oscar night. Like, they always pop up. But this is something that, like, for whatever reason, I just kind of miss. So what was your – do you remember what your introduction to this pairing was? Um, Yeah, the song uh, Cheek to Cheek. Um, mm-hmm. I believe it's uh, I think it's on Top Hat which is like their famous movie but yes. it wasn't that I had seen the movie I mean I hadn't seen the movie since like until like a couple of years ago but I just knew that song I knew the, the, the dance you know like we've seen that you know, that clip so many times um, on you know uh, on yeah these like montages you know um, Lady Gaga covered it with Tony Bennett, you know, so that that's how you know. Oh, that's became, what matters. That's what matters. That's, that, right. that's how it became a classic. She was like, hey, I should, I should let Finally, my voice Finally, Lady Gaga lifted up <laughs> Look, you know, she, she does a lot for us. Um, and does, right. does a lot, does a lot for Fred and Ginger. Um, but yeah, so they were, yeah, like, totally like you. Like, for me, it was just like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. And I only knew them as, like, People dance together. Like I didn't even know that like they danced with other people, or they did movies that would that right. where they didn't have to dance. Like you know, it just felt like I felt like they did every movie ever together. But 
Um, uh, so yeah, my so like this might only be like the third or fourth movies of theirs that I've seen, but right. um, they're just yeah, you know they they go together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm gonna be a little bit of a jerk here. Okay. Um, so I'm looking right now at IMDb and I'm looking at a picture of both of these people and like not to go like all hot or not here, <laughs> but is Ginger Rogers kind of slumming it with, uh, with Fred Astaire here? Did I, I find it interesting that they're known as like this couple, right? This old Hollywood couple. And I look at them and not like, not like, Oh, Fred Astaire is hideous, but Ginger Rogers, like, especially in this one screenshot. She, I mean, she's like bombshell, like just absolutely stunning. And you look at Fred Astaire, and he's like a nice looking guy, but he's got, you know, he's balding. It's and he's a little goofy, you know, especially in this movie. Like he's always the one coming after her, and he's very he's very silly. And she's very distant, like kind of cold and distant to begin with. So yeah. what did you think about kind of the matching of these two in the gay divorcee in particular? Yeah, I mean Fred Astaire just I'm sorry, but he always looks like he's, like, 55 years old. Right. <laughs> you know, and, like, Gene, I mean, like, Gene Kelly is, is another one who, like, is very, he's usually older than his co-stars, but he has such a youthful look and, you know, right. that, that butt. And, like, I feel That's like true. Um, Fred Astaire just doesn't have that, like, youthful look. He always looks like he's 100 years old. And, like, for all of his talent and energy, I just, like... I don't know, like, I I never really quite, I never really quite clocked it, you know, like, why it's such a weird pairing to me, um, mm-hmm. but you totally nail it, because, like, she is, like, stunning and talented and, like, just, like, magnetic, and I don't, I, I think he has, I think he has a lot of charisma, and of course, you know, you know, invented yes. dance, you know, whatever, but, like, <laughs> um, like I think when they're not dancing together, I don't see the right. chemistry. And unfortunately, with this movie being a little longer than most movies of the era, I found my interest kind of dwindling here and there. Yeah, um, agreed. And you know, for example, the sort of I don't know hour long musical number. <laughs> oh my god! In the middle, where oh like god. I was like I was trying really hard to pay attention and like really just. Something. Oh, these are like iconic dance numbers, whatever. But I kind of like left and like got like you know a glass of water, or whatever. And I was like, and nothing had changed nothing, when you got still back. The same, yeah. <laughs> so I I really struggled with this movie. I I almost wish it weren't a musical and were just a like romantic comedy. I mean, I liked it as a musical. I liked the dance number. Right. Well, most of the dance numbers. Um, I like like just not that long one, but the other ones I liked. But at the same time, I was like, man, yeah. if this were like a zippy kind of ninety minute, you know, screwball yeah. farce. I would have loved it, and I would have really yeah. felt like this was like, yeah. And honestly, movie. honestly, I like this movie, but I don't think there's any reason for it to be longer than like eighty minutes. Yeah, like it right, just right. there's there's some you know there's some funny stuff with the dude with the Italian accent. Like that stuff all works. I think it's it's very clever. It's very cute. And, uh, you know, back to, you know, the the kind of looks of our two leads, I think Fred Astaire is, you know, we have that thing, whether it's with women or men, where you like someone's like either not real smart or not real talented. And you say like, oh, they're lucky they're cute. Right. Yeah. This is the opposite. Like, he's so lucky he has talent because right. like that is the only thing carrying him in this movie. And like she from the beginning is magnetic. 
Like that, I mean, that scene where she is like, you know, trapped in the, essentially has her dress trapped is like, kind of like for the time, shockingly sexy. Yeah. Like I was watching, I was like, oh, like this feels like this could be in the 90s or the 2000s, like the way that this is shot. Uh, And it's helpful that like she is so beautiful and kind of like almost ethereal in her beauty, which really helps that coldness and that distance that she needs to have in the beginning. And she has her reasons for that. Right. And you find that out much later in the movie. And it's, you know, and there's also some really clever uh, writing moments where you have, you know, you have his his best friend who is the obvious gay coded character there is no there's no questioning <laughs> who this who the gay character is in this movie and he's very funny you know he's i mean maybe one of the first instances of like you know the the funny gay sidekick right of yeah. our of our lead character and like you know literally says like oh that shouldn't be hard there's only you know a million women in london have a good time and then i love that the movie goes that extra step to have him just like i mean it's a little weird he's kind of like accosting women on the street are you the beautiful woman i met is it you like no 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 but it's but i think um fred astaire has a good enough personality to kind of carry those moments because this could very easily go creepy with him like essentially i mean let's be real he's stalking this woman like he's yeah. trying to track her down. That's what's happening. But the way the movie is framed and the way he plays it, I think, really makes it work. What makes it work as well is like um, in their first scenes together, like how like good she is at being like, I don't want to be around you. Right. <laughs> so like you know like uh, like they don't do that thing where like um, sort of like the stocky in these scenes like. You know, there was a little, like, coquettish about it, you know? She's just, like, straight out being like, I don't want to be near you. <laughs> like, you repulse right. me. No, thank and, like, you. Go away. She's, like, doing all the things that, like, um, like women do nowadays when there's some, like, creep at a club. Like, essentially, like, giving right. her, like, giving him, like, the wrong number. <laughs> she's doing the third right. version of that. <laughs> and she she's is. like... Um, Oh god! Well, there was one line where I thought was so clever. I wish I could remember. I think she, he was like, um, "You didn't tell me her name, or you didn't tell me your name." And she's like, "You're right, I didn't," or something like that. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it's the the earlier version of like, oh, "I didn't catch, I didn't catch your number, I didn't throw it." Yeah, like exactly. it's very yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, not interested at all. I mean, I do, you know, like, from the sexual politics angle, there's some issues here, obviously, right? The whole movie, she's telling him no, 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 and then it ends up like, oh, but she really does want to be with him, you see. And it's, like, rewarding this, like, hunting of this woman, essentially, and that's not great. Um, but it is, you know, it is still, like, relative, a relatively light screwball romantic comedy and i think i think most of it really works i think as you mentioned that i'm glad you brought up that dance sequence because i felt bad being bored during that because it's ginger rogers and fred astaire like that's what you're here for you're here for the dance numbers but that is like you know 25 extras and oh my god it, it it's probably five minutes but it feels like 25 like it just goes yeah. no and no go, I... and i'm like yeah, I love musicals, it's, it's, but I have very, very low tolerance for extended musical sequences. Like, you know, I mean, the famous one in, like, Sing in the Rain, you know, the Broadway melody, like, that's the only one that I can really tolerate. But, like, right. you know, there's also that craze in the 50s where, like, all the Rodgers and Hammerstein movies had these, like, dream ballets that lasted, like, an hour. <laughs> and I'm like, I... I get it, but, like, oh my god, American in Paris, I mean, like, that one I just cannot, like... I just don't have the patience for it because I'm like, the great thing about musical is that, like, 
the songs advance the plot in a way that's actually like tangible you know like they're seeking their feelings they're seeking the plot but like these dream ballets or these like extended dance sequences like they just exist to show off and there's no like plot to right. it and so you just lose interest because like we're not you know i don't even, i don't even want to condescend to audiences in the 1930s being like wowed by this i really don't even think they were honestly <laughs> like you know I, I i don't i i don't see it maybe they were but like i really think that some of them were more sophisticated than being like you know gee golly you know dancing right yeah yeah absolutely so I'm also like looking at the cast list, uh, kind of exciting. Like I think this is one of Betty Grable's first movies. Yeah, yeah. She was like kind of basically an extra uh, in one of the dances. And then I'm like, we're gonna end with the the queer character, but I'm looking at these character names, and oh my goodness, there's a lot going on here. So you know, our lead character is named Guy Holden, like very very masculine, right? Very very clearly the hero that we're supposed to root for. Uh, but Ginger Rogers' character's name is Mimi Glossop, which is not uh, not a sexy name, uh, and yet she carries it um and then of course the standard like italian name rodolfo tonetti like it's very lots of vowels but our gay character uh played by edward edward horton who is great in this by the way very funny very enjoyable his name is egbert pinky fitzgerald okay like if you had to like make a gay name in a lab i mean i think this is probably what would come out like it's just like really egbert like you know he's not going to be a sexual character his name is egbert yeah and his father called him pinky like that is very clearly gay coded like there's no no question about it so what did you think about that character we when we did the old dark house we talked about like these stereotypes and kind of like fighting being offended so there's a lot of stereotypical behavior here so how did you feel about uh old egbert here in this movie yeah, so I did not find it to be overly offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually found it to be a very funny, charming character, and not even in spite of himself or in spite of myself. Like, so I was reading this article about the 1930s and this sort of the evolution of this, you know, stock character. And, um, I, unfortunately, I couldn't find any other article that kind of reinforced this, so who knows if this is even accurate. But the gist of what this article was saying is that, like, in the 1930s, this stock character wasn't really seen as threatening, so they weren't really made the joke of the movie. But instead, they were seen as just, like, witty and sophisticated and funny and, you know, just like your typical kind of comedy supporting character, which is, like, colorful mm-hmm. and whatever. But that in the 1940s, as men were um, sent off to war and women were entering the workforce, you know, the one thing that kind of broke America, apparently, (laughs) um, (laughs) broke American gender politics, because I think a lot of stuff comes from, you know, men coming back from World War II and finding women in the workforce. And so um, they would come back and... You know, find that their workforce was, you know, t- taken over by women. So they use this sort of like sissy pansy character as like a way to sort of reclaim their masculinity. So I don't know like if this is actually true or not because I, like I said, I only found one article mm. that said this. But to me, and and I, I was reading that as I was watching the movies. So I, maybe it felt a little color. Maybe my perception of the character was a little colored by it, but. Um, I really didn't find it to be like seen as some sort of threat to 
heteronormative masculinity. In fact, I just felt like he was just a colorful supporting character, just like Hortense being this sort of iconic, you know, old lady that no one wants to be around. You know, I mean, Hortense is my girl. I love her, obviously. You know, she's so great. She's oh almost the gay icon was in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and she knows what she wants. Good for yeah, her. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So, I mean, what, like, am I, am I just totally off here? Or, like, no. kind of, like, what did you think about, you know, old Eggie? So, I mostly agree with you. The only thing that um, that is, like, mildly offensive about this character is that he's, like, I mean, yes, it's a gay stereotype, but it's almost asexual. Yeah. Like, he, and almost like a desire, right? Like he doesn't really have a lot of desires. He is there to service the plot. He is there to help Guy along on his way. That's kind of the only reason he's there. He serves a purpose. So that's not great. But I also like the fact that like he is, and this is a little stereotypical too, I guess, depending on how you look at it, is that in that relationship uh, between Guy and Egbert, he's he's the smart one. Yeah. He's the one with the plan. He's the one who figures all this stuff out. So if he was like just a gay stereotype and silly and you know, just frivolous, then I think I would have more of a problem with it. But he has a fair amount of power in that relationship and in this movie. He is moving things forward. So that makes me like him even more. And he's also really funny yeah. and really engaging and really charming. And like, say what you will about Hortense, but I think you understand why she likes him. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think, I don't think it's just like, Oh, look at this silly old lady, like liking this gay dude. Like, that's not what it is. Like he, you know, he dresses well, he holds himself well, he's accountable. He, you know, has a job, he does all these things. And you're like, Oh, I get it. I get why someone would be attracted to him. Right, right. And he's not such he's not such a stereotype that you're like, okay, that there's no way anyone could not know that he is gay. What is wrong with you? Like we see it because it's clearly coded in that way, but someone in that world, in that kind of uppity high class world, you can, you know, we talked about in a previous episode how you don't have to be gay to have certain stereotypical behaviors right and i think some of that can get crossed with like upper class british right so i think you could see someone being attracted to him a woman being attracted to him and i think you get that with hortense of course it's played for laughs but i think you still understand i mean it's played for laughs because it's comedy right like right you know, like, I, I'm, I'm always a little wary of, you know, people being like, oh, such and such character is the butt of the joke when, like, they're in a comedy. So, like, kind of every character is kind of, you know, it's heightened for comedy. So it's, like, oh, kind I of mean, okay. I mean, guys, the butt of the joke for the first 45 minutes of this movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> um, you know who Egbert reminded me of? And sort of this sort of thing we've been talking about is, like, um, Fraser Crane and, and Niles Crane, like, where mm. they're, 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 like, multiple episodes where they're mistaken for gay and the joke being that they're not like they're only seen that way because they like opera and fashion and sherry and you know cuisine and but they're like as straight as i mean they're as straight as can be like there's never any there's i would i'm very confident saying there's no hint of clearness in fraser and niles except for the fact that like they're very flamboyant also that they're like decent yeah, I mean, yeah, right. That's queer coded in that world is like being nice, being well dressed, being cultured, knowing things that aren't just sports. Like this, yeah, and it's like <laughs> that, like, like yeah, that, that sort of like mid Atlantic kind of Catherine Hepburn accent, you know, or like that Grace Kelly yeah. accent. Like 
we just kind of code that gay because I, I, you're absolutely right. It's just because it's sophistication, it's high class, it's elegance, and you know, like knowing how to dress well is seen as gay. I mean, there's a like whole reality show based on that. Yep. So, absolutely. like, I, I really, I, I can sort of understand, like, in a sort of like socio political way of like how Egbert is coded gay and how that might be you know, problematic or whatever. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm really having trouble sort of seeing it exactly as totally negative. Like, right. No, no, I don't. Because not even, all stereotypes are negative. Yeah. Because right? even I if mean, you like, yeah, like again, even if you're saying that like, Oh, he doesn't have any desire to himself. He's like sexless. And again, I agree, but I also want to be like, yeah, but there are other, but like, other characters are like he's a supporting character in a comedy, right? Like he's right, right. colorful, he's funny, he's whatever. He's just like he doesn't need to be this like totally well-rounded guy just because like he's you know he's this a, like an archetype for this kind of movie that there are other archetypes like the Italian guy. I mean, what are the Italian guys like hopes and dreams? Like we don't know, right? So I mean, like, that might be the most offensive character in the movie. That's I, mean, closer I thought to of being you and watching it. Probably- <laughs> I was like, oh man. I mean, I, I mean, I found it very funny, but like, I could see someone getting upset. Yeah, over that. yeah. Like, I, I could see, it. and it, that actually brings up an interesting point. Um, as someone who like you know likes romantic comedies, you have a whole other podcast about rom coms. Yeah. Um, I think maybe it maybe I'm wrong, but I think sometimes we judge those movies a little too harshly. Like there's, there's kind of whenever a new rom-com comes out, you know, and there's a funny side character, there's all this focus on like, what do they want? Why are they not a well-rounded character? And in a movie like this, do you need that? Or should you be focused on guy and Mimi and not, and everyone else should just be pushing them forward and being entertaining. I think so. It To me, it's kind of this like weird vicious cycle, right? Which is like, you know, romantic comedy side characters are just inherently usually more colorful just because they have to populate sort of the, the like, universe of the movie. They have to, like, a lot of it is, like, they bring the comedy, romantic comedy. And so you're you're drawn to them because they're usually played by, like, comedians, like, you know, um, I almost called it Rupert Everett, but <laughs> Edward Everett Horton, you know, like, he's a comedian. He's a comic mm-hmm. actor. Same with... Um, same with Alice Brady, same, you know, all these people are comedic actors. So you're just, like, drawn to them because they're colorful, they're vibrant, they're kind of quirky, whatever, you know, they have all that stuff going on. So then I think we equate that with their, like, well, why are they not the main character? And we have, you know, Guy and Mimi who are, like, kind of, well, not so much Mimi. I mean, she's, you know, she's amazing. She's perfect. But, like, God, like why is Guy, who's so bland, such a, like, why is he the lead and not, you know, those quirky characters? But it's, like, they're quirky because they're the side characters. So they kind of, you know, it's like, I don't know, like, it's it's this, like, cycle where it's like we want, like, the supporting characters to be the main characters, but they're, but what makes them interesting is that they are supporting characters, you know? Right. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> no, it makes perfect sense. I think, I mean, this is the, I mean, this is kind of different, right? But it's the same idea as when you create a movie and then you make a spinoff. And sometimes the spinoff is, like, not as interesting because, like, oh, everyone loves that side character. And then you actually flesh them out and they're like, oh, now they're a real person. They kind of suck. Like, they were so much more funny. A really great example of this is, like, uh, you know, Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby and When Harry Met Sally. I think if you actually made them the leads of a romantic comedy, 
obnoxious. I mean, it, I mean it would be. I mean, they're talented. I mean, they were talented. You know, I'm sure they would write something really great. But at the same time, like you wouldn't want that subplot to be the main story because it's just not interesting. Right. You know, they meet once and then they're like living together. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't want you know wagon wheel table the movie. I don't. I don't need that. Like, I don't. I mean, when you, you say know, it like, like that, I'm kind of like, should I write this? <laughs> Like maybe maybe there's there's a way you can cast Carrie Fisher's daughter. It would be great. We yeah, can, yeah. We really make this work. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but so I think I think that's sort of the the double edged sword of having really great side characters, and why I, I always kind of roll my eyes at the like, why aren't the side characters the main characters? And it's like, guy, maybe the romance is a little boring. I mean, you know, it's just because. Yes. Uh, it's just you know you just have to be because they kind of have to go through the like the drama like they have to go through the arc of it right yeah absolutely i think i was just thinking about this movie it's like in a lot of ways it's the (laughs) and this is kind of a shot at it's kind of the quintessential musical when you talk about the oscars because it was nominated for five oscars um so Best original song, best art direction, best sound, best music, and best picture. Nothing for any of the actual performances or the direction or any of that. But they're like, we like that. That was fun, but we're not gonna we're not gonna give it all to you. Come on, let's uh, let's slow down here. Uh, and I think that's accurate though. Like I don't think like I love you know Ginger Rogers. I think she's great, but like this is not like a in terms of acting, like you take out the the songs and the dance, it's not like a tremendous performance. It's more based on presence than anything else. I think. I think she has like you immediately see her and you know she's important. Like from the first moment she's on screen, and maybe that's because you know she's next to uh, you know she's next to her aunt, which you know not exactly the most stunning figure of a woman in this movie. Let's yeah, say. Yeah. Uh, you know, and she's also next to Fred Astaire, who we talked about in terms of looks, maybe doesn't quite measure up to old Hollywood standards. Like this is not Clark Gable and it happened one night. Right. Like this right. is <laughs> it's a little bit it's a little bit different of a setup. So she immediately stands out. But this isn't this is a movie that I enjoyed, but not a movie that I feel like, oh, I'm going to go back to this over and over again. Yeah, uh, no, I totally, totally agree. Um, any fans of Ginger Rogers should look at Kitty Foyle. Um, from 1940, that's a great movie. She's, I mean, that's like, if you want to see Ginger Rogers, Ginger Rogers at like the peak of her, you know, star, star charisma. Mm-hmm. That that's a movie to see. Um, so I was just looking at Wikipedia, and that 20 minute dance sequence is actually 20 minutes long. Not God, just, really? okay. Now I don't feel so bad. Though. Yeah, um, <laughs> and that's not won the Academy Award. Um, I mean, it's a good song, but like, I don't remember it. But I do remember um, <laughs> Betty Grable's number, which I really liked. I thought was really cute. There, let's knock knees. Oh yeah, that was Edward. cute. I, I, I'm a sucker for a, like a kind of a cutesy musical number, which is like has a lot of puns and you know that kind of thing. I think it's I love that kind of cute stuff. Um, right. And uh, I did like the number um, that they do in the hotel. Oh yeah, um, that's this is the, like the romantic yeah. number. That's sort of like the classic, you know, Fred and Ginger thing, right? Like, right, you know. Uh, but I, aside from that, I just I, I felt the musical was a little lacking. And I also read that 
they scrapped a lot of the Cole Porter songs and wrote new songs. And I'm like, why would you do that? Jesus, what are you doing? <laughs> like, together, I really, I, I really find it funny when old movies adapt musicals and it's like, get rid of all the songs. <laughs> and I'm like, do you really think people just love this plot of this movie? <laughs> <laughs> right. Come on. This is, this is a, like shoestring thin plot like this is no, come on guys like this one was a hit on Broadway for the Cole Porter songs but let's just right. scrap all of, get rid of that nonsense. <laughs> yeah absolutely so here's something I'm learning about myself as I'm going through these movies with you yeah so I am I'm the type of queer person who tends to like you know not want to like give in to the stereotypes and all that like there's the kind of like within gay culture and film culture there's this huge emphasis not only on the Academy Awards, but also on on actresses specifically. But as I'm like going through the movies that we have covered in the 1930s with all these like really well known actresses uh, that I have like not like avoided, but just haven't seen a bunch of their movies, I feel myself getting pulled closer and closer to that stereotype oh, of like man. you know the the actress sexual where you're just like oh i want to oh, see everything God. she's done and okay. and i kind of feel the same way about ginger rogers like yeah. i haven't seen very many movies with her and i was like oh my god what a presence like i want to see just like with barbara stanwick um when we when we watch the ladies they talk about i had a very similar reaction to this and i'm like fred astaire who cares get this dude off my screen his widow's peak get out of here i want to focus on Ginger i mean there's nothing more for queer men than a beautiful actress (laughs) so weird what is that about like Like, we've talked about this before where like i just get so like baffled when straight men talk about actresses in like a sexual way and i'm like wait like you actually like are attracted to them like sexually not just because they're like that's for you yeah like (laughs) what you're gonna look at jessica chastain and think she's like sexy and not just like (laughs) iconic you know (laughs) it's so weird It's so interesting when those things cross because they don't always, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, there are there are certain actresses that um, that gay culture in, spe- in specific really leans oh into yeah. that straight culture yeah. doesn't. I mean, uh, when eventually I'm sure we cover a, a you know Betty Davis movie, that is not an actress that like even in Hollywood like necessarily men were like, ooh, that's the sex pot. Right. It was much more intimidating, like kind of a force of nature, you know, kind of like, you know, maybe especially as she aged, but like Meryl Streep in that way, where like that's not an actress that men are like, oh, that's a sex symbol. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, But like, oh, very talented. Yes. I, you know, a handsome woman. I respect her very much. Uh, So it's very (laughs) odd when those things intersect. Like, it's very strange. I I may have told you this story, but. when Joel Schumacher died, and I, I had this, like, randomly viral tweet when he died. I think it was just one of those that just, like, I tweeted at, like, the right time and just got picked up. And my tweet was about, like, Nicole Kidman and Emma Thurman being, like, queer icons in this movie. And, like, you know, they were made to be very campy looking. But there were so many yes. straight men in my mentions who were, like, you know, I, like... I was attracted to them. Like, they were so hot. Like, I don't think that they're... Like, what's what's gay Straight about Straight men that? were pressed about that tweet. Like, they were really upset. And I was, I was like, like, it's okay to find them attractive, but that is camp. That's what's happening it's, here. Yeah, it's like, so camp. Especially Uma Thurman. She especially has never Uma looked Thurman. more campy. Yeah, than- <laughs> like, 
like the hair, the makeup. I'm pretty the sure that that, that look was based on like drag queens. I mean, it's got to be right. Like, yeah. um, but <laughs> it was just so funny. I'm like imagining some like you know eight year old like straight boy being like, oh my god, you know, <laughs> Chase Meridian. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, it's interesting because like even if you look at like keeping it in the Batman realm, right? Yeah. Even if you look at you know um, the Dark Knight Rises and the way they costumed Catwoman, yeah, and yeah. that is for the male. That's for the male gaze, right? There's a very different costuming with that and Uma Thurman. Like, just look at those two costumes and yeah, but like make it performances. Even if being different. Anne Hathaway makes it, you know, like a gay thing, right? Like, right, right. she's just like, she's in that, that like group of actresses, like her, Amy Adams, Nicole Kidman, Uma Thurman, like, there's, and like, I mean, even going to the 30s, like Barbara Stanwyck, Betty Davis, Jerome Crawford, even Ginger Rogers, I think, like Marilyn Monroe, mm-hmm. like Audrey Hepburn, like these people, they just like, this is a, a, a group of actresses that like just are like queer icons. And it's just weird to me that people like straight men are looking at that and like you know, jerking off. I'm like, that's not for you. <laughs> hey, leave them alone, straight men. That is not for you. <laughs> this is why sometimes I'm so grateful to be bisexual. Because yeah, right? I can just like float in between these two worlds. Like, it's great. All right. Uh, so, uh, with this movie, what do you think that we've learned uh, from the gay divorcee? Um, well, just on like a factual level, like I found this trivia really interesting, um, which is like the original musical. Um, was called the gay divorce, but they made them change it to the gay divorcee because they said a divorcee could be like gay as in like happy and you know frivolous or whatever. But this is it's too unseemly to suggest a divorce is happy. Um, I disagree. Yeah, yeah I know, right? Like, it's very happy. <laughs> you know, um, but just like I, I think on like a, a more serious level, like um, this idea of like the sort of the like pansy, the sissy character, whatever you want to call it. Like, I think I always just thought of it as something that's just like always going to be like problematic, always going to be offensive, always going to be like something I had to like roll my eyes over. But I think in some ways, like, if done correctly, you know, with the right actor, with kind of like the right kind of scenario, I don't think it's really that bad. I think the stereotype, you, know, you said earlier that stereotypes don't always have to be bad, and I totally agree with that. Um, and I think in this case, I, I really felt like he, you know, wasn't the butt of the joke, wasn't, like, he was always the most sophisticated, always the, most, the smartest one in the room, and um, just, you know, I think you walk away from this movie remembering him, you know, his lines, his, you know, physical comedy, his dancing, more so than, like, Fred Astaire, who, like, I kind of forgot existed. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, how about you? Yeah, I mean, kind of similar. Um, given what I had, because like before I had seen this movie the first time, I kind of read up on it a little bit. I don't remember yeah. why, but I kind of like glanced at the Wikipedia page, not at the plot, but just kind of at how it was uh, how it was seen and people's reaction to it. And one of the things they talked about was this like queer coded character, and that always like in a movie in this uh, day and age, it definitely makes me a little tentative like i'm like okay how are the 30s gonna deal with this you know obvious gay character right right. and i was i was pleasantly surprised at how how much respect this character was given like yes there are moments when he's the butt of the joke 
But there's moments where like he's the only reason any of this hasn't happy has a happy ending right, for our lead right. characters. And also, most importantly, I learned that Fred Astaire is an Uggo. That's that's really <laughs> what I've learned from this movie. Uh, so, uh, sorry, I just couldn't let that go. He's kind of uh, like um, he reminds me of like Dorian Gray in that, except that like his picture on the wall the is like him is like sixty. So he's always <laughs> sixty years old, no matter what year it is. <laughs> That is tragic. Tragic for <laughs> All right, so now we come to the Russo test. So first, the film contains a character that is identifiably lesbian, gay, bisexual, or trans. So do you think this, uh, do you think Picky, do you think Egbert uh, satisfies this number one? You know what? I think so. Um, and because in that scene with Betty Grable, I do not think any straight man would ever wear that outfit. So, like, he's in this, like, weird, like, um, he's kind of in the tank top and, like, short shorts, which I'm like, hello, I saw that, like, all summer. (laughs) Well, not this year, but last year. Yeah, so true. Like, I think, like, um, even though he doesn't really show any, I mean, again, like, I feel like I'm contradicting myself from what I was saying in the last episode or last two episodes ago, which is, like, he doesn't show any attraction, but you just, like, I don't know, you just kind of know. Yeah, and I mean, I there's, think the there's fact kind of that like, like a knowing, a yeah. knowing wink and a nod uh, with the way he interacts with Guy. Yeah, like he's yeah. always supportive of him, and he's very interested in what he's doing. Like it's it, just like in the last movie we covered. This, it just feels like a little more than standard friendship. Yeah, yeah, it puts yeah. the homo in homosocial relationships. Yes, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I think it qualifies, but it also got me thinking about coding and the way we judge movies from the 30s versus movies now because I like I'm always thinking about this movie of course, but it gets me to thinking um about Phantom Thread. And if you take the character of Reynolds Woodcock and you put him in a movie in the 30s, 40s or 50s, that's a gay character. That's yeah. 1000% a gay but of yeah. course, given the plot of that movie, very clearly a heterosexual character. Yeah. Uh, but they're, they're, you know, they're not that far apart. These two kinds of characters. Uh, so I find it interesting that we can have uh, in the 2000s, we can have a queer coded character is straight. Uh, but you go back and like this, this character is very clearly queer to me. Like there's no no question in my mind. So Right. Absolutely. But, So second, that character must not be solely or predominantly defined by their sexual orientation or gender identity. So they have to have unique character traits commonly used uh, to differentiate straight characters from one another. So what do you think as far as that? I think that passes as well because, you know, he has that sense of humor. He kind of has that, um, I don't know, he's just like kind of a like sophisticated, witty, really like kind of funny, cute guy. I don't mean cute as in mm-hmm. like dreamboat, but just like he's just like he's a cutie, you know. Like, I so I think that like I think it passes that I really do. Yeah, I do too. I mean, and also like you know he has a job, he has knowledge. He, you feel like I think the big test of this to me is like when he leaves the screen. Do I feel like he has an interior and exterior life? Yeah. Like, or do I feel like he just disappears until he's needed again? Right. And I feel like, like I could have, I could imagine a movie where we extend this even further, like take out that 20 minute fucking dance sequence and have another subplot, um, with Egbert and like, yeah, there's stuff going on there. So I think he's more than just the queer coding for sure. 
Um, and then number three, the LGBTQ character must be tied into the plot in such a way that their removal would have a significant effect. So they're not just colorful commentary. So he is colorful commentary, but in your opinion, if you remove him, would it have a significant effect to the plot? Yeah, I, I think it would because he he kind of is very integral to the, like the ending of the movie, right? Like, no, I absolutely, I yeah. Think he, I mean, I, like he's a colorful commentary, but he's also like a major supporting character. Like, he's the best friend. Like, you need the best friend. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I don't think you can end this movie without him. Yeah. I don't think the two of them end up together no. without the machinations of what's going on with this character. So yeah, I think. Like, probably more so than any of the movies we've covered in the 30s, this kind of passes with flying colors. Yeah, I and agree. it's not, and, and it's not something I expected because, like, he is, you know, kind of the original kind of funny gay side character. So you would almost expect, like, oh, God, it's going to be so stereotypical and he's not going to matter at all. But he really does matter. Like, he matters almost as much as Guy does to yeah. the plot of this movie. Because anytime Guy is not with Ginger Rogers... He's with he's with our our queer character. Yeah. So he's constantly involved in what's going on. So yeah. All right. Um. <laughs> so um. We have reached the end of this episode. We've reached the end of 1934. Um. And our next episode, we were we're going to be covering another queer icon. Um. So we'll tell you who that is. Uh. You know, in our next episode. But the movie we're covering is Sylvia Scarlet. Um, and, uh, I think this is readily available. I think this is something you can rent and watch, uh, cause it's got some major stars in it. So it's not a movie that's going to be like forgotten by time. So we, you know, join us, uh, in this, uh, in this quest to watch all these queer movies. There are, there are many, many opportunities for you there. So, um, before we go, Manisha, uh, how can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at the Manish eighty nine. Also, um, my other podcast, It Pod to Be You. You can find that on Twitter at It Pod to Be You. And David, where can people find you? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Darn That Dave, and also you can find uh, both of our, our writings and uh, other great podcasts at Talk Film Society, um, and that's just at Talk Film Soc. Um, and you can follow our podcast on Twitter as well at queer and now pod i love being able to call men ugly on, on my podcast <laughs> really that's my goal that's, that's all i'm here for <laughs> 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 <laughs>